So how, on God's gray earth, did this... Around the corner the wind blew back, follow the yellow brick road... And this... Light on the model, everybody, even Mrs. Wooten Wellis, little nitty, even Lightboard floating with his little pistol showing. And even this. Lucid tentacles test, enslaved, enjoined, enjointed jade pointed diamondback patterns. Neon meat dream of a octafish. Artifact on rose petals, in flesh petals and pots. Fact in feast, in tubes. Become this. I've been hoping on Mondays, some hows and moon days, Sundays and Sundays. Listening to Detours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, it may be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. We are on Instagram if you want to see our album covers. We're on Twitter if you want to be notified when we update our Instagram. Uh, we're on Facebook if you want to join the discussion where we usually post weird videos and or articles that relate to the latest episode. And we have a website and we have a Gmail account, detoursandoutliers at gmail.com if you want to send us any suggestions for future episodes or, you know, just send us random weird questions you know we'll take anything really um this week we have on the panel logan renard matthew marr and my name is scott livingston and this week we do have a special guest from the comedy rock duo smashy claw we have austin ashleman say hello to the people or person hi uh uh indistinguishable amount of of people Yes. I, I mean, I'm hoping there will be multiple people, but I'm assuming most people listen as a single unit. So we will sort of leave the um, number indeterminate. But you're, you're people gonna or person. Off, you're going to scare off the fan, Scott. The fan? Oh, I, I don't think we can scare the fan off. They're still chained in the basement. Anyway, this week we will be discussing uh, Captain Beefheart's and the Magic Bands, or a Magic Bands uh, album, Blue Jeans and Moonbeams. So, um... I guess let's just sort of start. Who is Captain Beefheart? What does he sound like? And why is this album different? Uh, Captain Beefheart is a famous 60s weirdo who was part of the cult of Zappa. It's a nice way of putting it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he 
was like pals with Zappa when they went to high school, and he was a kind of a indie blues musician in the early '60s who made strange music, trying to cut through the blues style that uh, his band knew how to play in, and always tended towards making very experimental, strange-sounding music. And the label kept getting in the way of that. As labels are wont to do, because they want to make money, and strange and weird music generally doesn't. Well, in the, the 60s, they were given, given people uh, broader chances at their that is true. genre. But uh, no one was giving greater chances than Frank Zappa. And since he had already known Don Van Vliet, which is Captain Beefheart's real name, he decided to give him uh, full creative control on the seminal weird album, Trout Mask Replica. And this album sounds just like it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, at a certain point in the 60s, they started letting a few more weirdness in. Early 60s was still very bubblegum y. But yes. I suppose, you know, with the British invasion and all that, and um, no one knew who liked what or. What would sell and what wouldn't sell. Yes. And so some people slip through the cracks. Not a particularly easy time to be a psychedelic blues curmudgeon. Well, <laughs> it's probably easier in the 60s than it is, say, today, but yes. Well, I mean, I'm trying to be a psychedelic blues curmudgeon, but... Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wide open field, but there's not a lot of um, opportunity in it, yes. Uh, I need a Frank Zappa. <laughs> the world needs a Frank Zappa, yeah, but yeah. We, all we've got is a hologram. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and um, I think I think my music's a bit too misanthropic to be um, curmudgeonly. There you go. So so maybe he is a very well, without a doubt, Captain Beefheart is a very unique voice in popular music. Yes, um, he, he, probably closest to Tom Waits that other people might have heard, but yes, he is a... I was going to say like Rocky Erickson, kind of. Yeah, although, well, he does sort of fall into what's known as outsider music. Yeah. I mean, and when you talk about outsider music, there's really like two camps. There's people like the Shags or Wesley Willis who don't know how to play at all, and you're not sure if you're laughing with them or at them. On the other hand, there's guys like, say, Skip Spence or Sid Barrett or Roki Erickson who, you know, were coherent, good musicians and sort of broke with reality at some point. And so their music got stranger and more alienated and harder to listen to while, you know, you know Daniel Johnston is doing his best to sound good. That's just what he sounds like. Yeah, well, I, I would say that... The best of Beefheart makes, you know, 13th floor elevators sound like elevator music. <laughs> there you go. It yes. sounds very sedate and organized. Yeah. And, well, and he did have, oh, just, uh, just he did have good musicians. Oh, that yeah. was, that's what he I was going to say is the, uh, the comparison to, uh, he's closer to the spectrum of like the wild man Fisher and the Wesley Willis. Cause he, yeah. he literally was not a musician and yep. he was, didn't know anything about music, but he happened to be able to just coerce yeah. very well. That's just people. it. He didn't know how to. He didn't have the linguistics or the jargon to explain to his musicians what he needed them to play precisely. But he also was very strict and demanding that they play it precisely. So, in the early days, he had guys like Ry Cooter who could sort of translate for him. Um, most of these guys want to get paid, and that's why. 
they're all gone by the time this album is recorded. So yeah, the so, so he recorded uh, Trap Mask Replica, which was a big critical uh, hit at the time, and but but it didn't sell very well. If you've listened to it, you know why. It's <laughs> not for everybody or even most people, but yes. I think it's become a consistent seller since, though. So yeah. It's, it's well, yeah. It, people who do like it like it a lot, but most people do not. And he he kind of kept going down that path on the next album, like my decals off. Yeah. And, um, but again, nothing nothing was selling for him because he kept uh, doing that very distinct, strange, uh, experimental style, and so with each. Uh, subsequent album, he kept getting a little more commercial, so you're, you're, trying to be commercial. <laughs> well, com- compared to like uh, Frownland, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and on this one, we'll we'll hear we'll hear. But uh, you know, I think a lot of his Howlin' Wolf style vocals are, are subdued a bit as well. He's he's trying to be commercial. He's I don't know how much he knows what is commercial at this time. I mean, this came out in November of 1974. I'm not sure how this fit into the popular music landscape at the time, but he was trying to tone down his eccentricities to mostly just so he could sell enough records so he could go back to making weird stuff like Trout Mask Replica. Well, like on... On Trout Mass Replica, they were living on Zoothorn Rollo's mom's food stamps. Yeah. So I think just anything to get they out of that. They just wanted food, that's, yes. Yeah. That's, that's dedication. If it, if it sounds like this music was made by degenerate freak weirdos, you know, there's a reason. Yes. A, it, <laughs> this album, however, is made by a, a different group of degenerate, and maybe not degenerate, but just whoever was willing to show up for the week. And with, with Don... Uh, Captain Beefheart, there might have been um, yeah. some mental illness going on as well. Probably, yes, some undiagnosed issues that were exasperated by the um, copious amounts of hallucinogens and but, other. But he was definitely tapped into something remarkably creative and unique. Yes. And um, both of those factors, I mean, creativity is also good, uniqueness is always good. But oftentimes, if there's not a ready audience, it is going to be very difficult to sell records. Yes. And trying to uh, put that into a square box that can be sold is essentially what this album is, is Don Van Vliet trying to be commercial. Um, it works out better than the dead trying to be commercial. That is true. That is true. It's, it's I listenable. I mean, it's, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, you know, if you wanted straightforward commercial rock, you would never go near Captain Beefheart with a 10-foot pole. And if you wanted Captain Beefheart, you would want something strange and weird like, you know, even Safe as Milk, his first album, is still pretty, um, I wouldn't say inaccessible, but uh, difficult listening, shall we say. And they, they get worse from there. Well, worse, uh, harder. More difficult. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it depends on uh, your perspective, I guess, because like, songs like uh, Follow the Yellow Brick Road on Safe as Milk are just as poppy as anything on this record. Yeah, that's true. He, uh, one wonders if, you know, Safe as Milk didn't sell, why he tried to go back to it in order to try and sell again. But it may, I'm not sure how much of this was his idea and how much was the record label's idea, because I think 
everyone was kind of fed up with Captain at this point. <laughs> who's in uh, aside from aside from Beefheart? Who who's left of the Magic Band? Nobody on Nobody. this album. They, they all they quit all... the previous album. I thought there was one guy that was a musical director or something, or maybe he, well, he, he left early or something. People, yeah. I mean, um, let's see if I can see. I I'd like to say that the first time that I was ever aware of Captain Beefheart, other than just as a name, was when I was a teenager and it was listening to Frank Zappa's Bongo Fury, oh, yeah. which is yeah. a tremendous live album, and and uh, and it says he plays. Uh, some saxophone on there, but I don't know well, if it's, place, place if it's yeah, 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 he can, he but, can uh, play a little bit, but his vocals are striking and, <laughs> and when, yeah. and without any, without knowing anything about, uh, Captain Beefheart or his music at the time, I remember hearing on Bongo Fury, him take the lead vocal on a song and just be like, Whoa. Oh, and that's a, that's a, brilliant, that's Captain Beefheart. Yeah, like, that's, that's a brilliant <laughs> album. But that, that came out, um, that came out after this. Yeah. yeah. Mostly due oh, yeah. to and Zappa's largesse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I think that, um, Don was falling on some difficult times and said, um, you know, so Zappa was like, well, let's tour with my band and, yeah. um, you know, help out his buddy. And it, it, um, artistically it worked. I'm not sure how well that album sold at the time, but, uh, it certainly probably put a few dollars in his pocket. Well, and it's, it's also kind of just a representation of the tour at the time. Yeah. It's kind of like a live tour album kind of thing. Greatest hits. I like to refer to the Beefheart saxophone as the slimy alien. Nice. The slimy alien. Yeah. He does have a, a perchant for um, renaming things creatively. Um, hence his name, Captain Beefheart. And he, he, like his cousin painted the cover and he gave him some other weird name that I don't have written down here. But yes. When he gave Victor was, was Hayden. That, was that the mascara snake? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, he right. had a lot of weird, creepy names for his stuff. But um, on Frank Zappa was uh, Willie the Pimp before Bongo Fury. Oh yeah, that was way yeah, before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's on um, Hot Rats. That's yes. on Hot Rats. Yeah. So one that was that was one of the this. greatest guitar albums of all time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Beefheart is the only person who sings on that album. Well, um, no, there's. I think there's some other stuff. He he sings mm-hmm. Willie the Pimp, but there's not a lot of vocals on the album. So you could be right about that. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, he sings a significant percentage, even though there's not a large yeah. percentage to be had. I so. just. I mean, we're talking. I, mean, I vaguely recall some background vocals, but you know, but oh, okay. but, uh, but yeah, I think you are correct. We're talking, but you know, certainly like pre look shit up on Wikipedia, having pictures, having any connection to this. I just remember that being really powerful. As you know, I have no idea what he looked like, who he was, or anything about him. But when when he starts singing on, I forget which song. Willie the Pimp. Is yeah. it Willie the Pimp? Yeah. And he sings uh, Muffin Man at the end. Oh, like oh, a little oh, bit oh, of, oh, you want to talk about Bongo Fury? And it's like no. That that can only be this mysterious Captain Beefheart character that right, I've right. heard of. Like, <laughs> yeah, Hot Rat, Hot Rats. He sings. He sings Willie the Pimp on on. Uh, he sings just about everything on Bongo Fury. Yeah. yeah. Well, shall we dive into this attempt to be commercial from an outsider artist? The um, first track was actually covered by the White Stripes, and it's the party of special things to do. The camel wore a nighty. In the party of special things to do. When the strip winds blow, the flag don't wiggle in the party of special things to do. 
special things to do. I met the ace of love. She took me to I think it's only because Captain Beefheart is not as well known as he should be that, yeah, people like Beck or Tom Waits even made had careers. <laughs> That's what I, uh, yeah, bringing up Tom Waits, I always think of Tom Waits as like the commercial Beefheart. Yeah. He does have a similar sort of growly voice, Cookie well, Monster well, on Acid or whatever. Well, I mean, like if you listen to like the first three or four Tom Waits records, they're just like straight lounge jazz records. Yeah. And his girlfriend introduced him to Beefheart, and then that's when he made uh, what, what's the name of that record? Swordfish trombones. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's well, uh, as far as the vocals, those are those are um, that's Captain Beefheart vocals yeah. without a doubt. And I'm convinced. I I don't think I'm wrong in this. Um, you know, he and Zappa listened to tons of blues records when they were yeah. teenagers, and and that's Holland Wolf. That's who he's. That's yeah. his vocal style. He's trying to. Yeah. He's trying to be yeah. Holland Wolf. And and uh, but but you know it kind of comes into his own style this is really um uh, this particular song it's a good lead off to an album hell yeah that's yeah. a good like warm-up for people who are familiar with the more trout mask-esque style yeah. yeah i was gonna say this isn't this isn't quite as outlierish outlierish <laughs> right um, yeah, um this could be a song on safe as milk and with the with the breakdown know. there's there's a bit of yeah weirdness in there well yeah and i mean you know as weird as beefheart is he is essentially a blues guy just a blues guy trying to be modern and reconcile with the modern world but he is still in that blues tradition but I think. it's interesting that he is in the blues tradition because um a lot of his uh, this and this is a good example and a lot of the beef art catalog um has this odd uh kind of resemblance to like James Brown or something like that in that it's, it's pocket playing. It's like, as you know, something that James Brown or Bootsy Collins would talk about things being in the pocket. Every voice is right in its place rhythmically, although maybe slightly out of sync with other parts of it. So you can, you know, get these kind of weird loping or, or swinging or, or driving kind of feels, but everything is short and, deliberate and right in its place and as if as though it's on a grid and one of the interesting things about james brown's music and how he ran his band kind of like a big drum set and how beefheart you know with or without you know, we'll talk about with or without a musical director to shape this uh it's kind of the same thing he like conducted the band and the funny thing about him coming from a blues background is that he steps all over form Especially with his lyrics, he he you know, uh, there's all kinds of odd time stuff in this music that I don't. It, it, it's not necessarily deliberate. It's like he just didn't give a shit that he had three more words to sing. So well, there's three more beats to that measure, and it doesn't matter that the rest of the band has gone on to do a different thing. So I'm wondering if the uh, tendency to not have respect for form is something innate in the area where him and Zappa grew up so that they have such a something in the water. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it may also be just his lack of knowledge. He doesn't know, uh, Hey, this is the end of the 12 bars of a 12 bars blues and you better be ready for the next verse or you're going to be off for the rest of the song. He just may lack the musical knowledge. Well, like so. on, on Trout Mask, they recorded all the instrumentals and he recorded his vocals without actually being able to hear the music very well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that fits actually with the blues idea as well. A lot of early blues guys did not 
uh, abide by a 12 bar form. No. I mean, that, that was sort of a very flexible form. If there was a little bit more to say or do, you might cut a measure, you bars, might cut a yeah. couple beats or yeah. whatever. It all depended. I mean, that's what the song was. And, and, uh, you just, you, you did the music to fit, to fit the song, right? Yeah. Not the, the other way around, you know, whatever, whatever the message was, the, you know, the song was right. You know, lyrically or. Yeah. And, and I think lyrically this is, um, Captain Beefheart's version of Mama Told Me Not to Come. Yeah. But, but as far as, the, to get back to the musicians a bit, if no one in the, in the original or even, you know, as the, the magic band evolved over the years, if none of them are actually on this album, so who are these people? Are they studio musicians? Did he just come in with a few songs and they, they arranged things? or did he? That's kind of what happened, yes. And that's kind of why it's a little less integrated, a little less, um, you know, Beef hearty is because these were just studio cats who were like, okay, what are you talking about? And they would just play and, you know. Yeah, we'll play what you pay us to do. That's and our apparently, job. you know, the, okay. that Beef Heart was so out of it that someone would just push his head towards the mic when it was time to sing and then pull him back when he was done. And <laughs> he was not. Yeah, that, that apparently on this album, that's what, that's what happened. Well, so he, in the early days, whether it was, you know, with Zappa or, uh, you know, first couple of uh, Beefheart recordings, like he would appoint a member of his band, kind of the musical director, as yeah. you know, most, most people do. I mean, you know, uh, even Zappa would appoint a member of the band to basically run, run rehearsals and things like that in his absence. But in, the, in Beefheart's case, it was kind of... That usually to, to have that, like a translator. Yes, it was <laughs> necessary to serve. That that role usually fell to his drummer, who he nicknamed Drumbo. Yeah, it was Drumbo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but he was without because he just had. Well, hired, everyone quit because they had gotten guns. paid. So. He had, didn't really have anybody who was familiar with. Well, from what I've heard, it like they they weren't getting paid and they were getting abused by him on a yeah. daily basis. I mean, people will put up with a lot of shit from a, a dictatorial band leader if they're getting paid, but if you're not getting paid... But for those first couple albums, the the energy they got from how different what they were doing was and how they felt yeah. like it was going to stand Excited. the test of time. Yeah. But when he started going more commercial and they did uh, Unconditionally Guaranteed together and it just... Yeah. Well, particularly if you're going commercial and failing. I mean, it's one thing to go commercial and sell a million copies. It's another thing to go commercial and still end up in the remainder bin. Well, that's been a that's been a trend we've run across with these these albums are people who who tried to do the they tried to sell out. Something yeah, they tried to sell out or they tried to do something that was they they perceived to be hip at the time, maybe with comically bad timing. Uh uh, and uh, you know they've quickly retreated back to whatever they did before because <laughs> well the, the album right after this one is is Shiny Beast which is a return to form yeah he was a bit older than those guys too yeah he was than the Magic Band so I mean that might account for a bit of his attitude attitude yeah well These shall we young punks go on to the next song it's a uh, same old blues are we supposed to get paid for music. <laughs> well, we're, there's a lot of things that are supposed to happen. Nah, uh, we, we need to have a talk. <laughs> well, speaking of just... Uh, Sorry about oh. that. I was going to mention something about the previous song, but... Oh, oh. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of uh, Zappa and uh, his relation to their upbringing, how it might have informed what their similarities in music is, I, 
I just like the humor in Beefheart where he can start a whole album that's supposed to be his commercial album with the Camel War and Nighty. I thought it was Cowboy, which I, I, both is disturbing, but <laughs> in different ways. And that, and that line, uh, she turned her head, you know what I mean? She turned it back. That makes me laugh every time because yeah. uh, no one knows what you mean. Dumb. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, very, he's very poetic. Yeah. I mean, in a... In a I mean, in that, in the uh, complimentary, in the truest sense of the word. Yeah. Yes. The cadence and the wordplay in his singing is like n- none. There's, it, it's completely one of a kind. Well, he, he said he just was constantly writing poetry and then he just put it to whatever the music needed to be. Like his, in his interview with Dr. Demento from the 70s, he said, I have like 20,000 songs. I just haven't recorded most of them. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the uh, the tour with Zappa, the bongo, which resulted in Bongo Fury, Zappa claims that in his autobiography that that um, Don showed up with um, a shopping bag, uh, you know, just like a just a shopping bag, like a, from a grocery store or something, and and he, he didn't have anything in it except his notebooks, and he's like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> All I need. Get clean underwear on the way. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? All right, so this next tune was written by J.J. Kale and it's called Same Old Blues. Um, the captain was trying to be commercial here. I think what he was trying to replicate actually is the B.B. Um, King song, The Thrill is Gone. We are taking a detour here. Yeah, this is, yeah. Isn't that There's the strings on here. There's, yeah, some funky piano. I mean, just the fact that he's covering a contemporary singer-songwriter and not, you know, an actual Howling Wolf, wolf song and or it something. It definitely sounds like a J.J. Kale song. Yeah, yeah, the original sounds pretty much like this, only, you know, much faster, but the instrumentation and the feel is pretty much the same. And his vocal styling is, he's departing from that as well. Yeah, he's to a certain degree. He's, he's trying to control himself. He's sticking with the form. There isn't any weird syncopated over the, over the bars kind of shit. Yeah. Any of the stuff that really <laughs> makes it sound like beef fire. I, I, I got to drop my, uh, uh, you know, bass nerd shit right at the top here with, uh, I love I love the bass playing on this album, but on the on the first couple album with the you know the earlier incarnations of the Magic Band and stuff, the the guitar and bass playing is just batshit bonkers and awesome, both t- you know tonally and and you know performance wise, compositionally, it's really screwy and weird. And even though it might be somewhat primitive, uh, it's really uh, really tricky. Um, and, and neat, and this is uh, like a, a bluesy ballad song. It's, sli- <laughs> it's slick and polished and well played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it, 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 he saw how much money BB King Maybe. got for "The Thrill Is Gone," which I didn't realize came out in 1970. So it was only like Just four years before this. Few so years probably before. Like, yeah. Quick, name, I could do that. Name three things that don't have anything to do with Captain Beefheart. <laughs> uh, slick, polished, commercial. <laughs> Listenable. 
Well, you, yeah, you're talking about the bass and guitar playing on those earlier records, and it's almost like they were individual lead lines, whereas yeah. this is, like, like you're saying, everything's in the pocket. Yep, yep. But the, I mean, the the original stuff is it's in the pocket too, but it's just like it's a different pocket, you know. Uh, it, for for different pants, everyone listening has probably done some digital recording in their in their life, and it's it's as if you had a killer uh, funk song or something recorded in the you bump the mouse and slid a bunch of tracks around out of sync and then played it again. It's like that's what. A, you know, that's a good description. Canonical beef heart material sounds like, and they could do it over rhythmic, and over again. And they could do it over and over again. Um, yeah, live. It's yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's startling. This, this. Um, do we have any uh, idea or evidence that uh, Captain Beefheart was a JJ Kale fan? I don't know. I you know, I have a hard enough time telling JJ Kale from John Kale see last week's episode from John Cage. So he, he may have mistaken him or I don't know well, who picked this. Again, I'm not sure if it was the record company trying to pick songs for him to seem more commercial. I mean, J.J. Kale is a, he's a laid back kind of country blues sort of with a band dude who writes good songs yeah. with good stories in them. Yeah. Um, that's, um, doesn't seem, well, I mean, it seems like something that, um, Captain Beefheart writes good songs with good stories in them. He doesn't need. It, it seems JJ really Kale. odd that yeah. this would that this would this would be his choice. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of things on here that seem to indicate that Captain Beefheart wasn't quite in control anymore. That someone else was calling shots and he was agreeing to them because he thought they knew what they were talking about. You think its record label was just like, you know, we have the rights to this. Could very well be. Some <laughs> we have publishing rights to this. So Backdoor we're gonna, shenanigans we're record here. This one. So. This is going to be your single. Cause we, <laughs> <laughs> we're already making money off of it somewhere else. So it's like a, if this thing goes, then and he went along with it. This might have been one of them that they uh, they kind of pushed him forward towards the microphone. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It's a killer song. I like it. No, it's I. Yeah, it's not. Yep. Yeah, the thing is, it's if you like Beefheart, this isn't what you're expecting, and if you don't like Beefheart, this isn't going to convince you. So I think uh, Beefheart's best uh, integration of his style with the blues, like on Save His Milk, he did kind of straighter blues with. Yeah. Songs that weren't blues, like Electricity, that are just strange experiments. Uh, but then on his uh, second album, which he recorded as uh, It Comes in a Brown Paper Wrapper was the name of it, and his, he envisioned that the album would just literally come in a brown paper wrapper as like an allusion to drugs. Yeah. And the label didn't... Because drugs didn't, come... <laughs> Well, or a, or a bottle of booze or something, right? You pornography. Know. There's all sorts of goodies you can get in yes, a brown paper bag. pornography. Any kind of vice, right? Yeah. The good stuff is always unlabeled. What, whatever the illicit substance was, I don't think the label took very kindly to yeah. that illusion. And so they made him change the name to, uh, what is it? Uh, Strictly Personal is the name that it came out on. And then they had him re-record it from the actual sessions for Brown Paper Wrapper. And a lot of fans think that that uh, re-recording is uh, sacrilege. <laughs> well, the, the the producer on it came in and like added a bunch of psychedelic effects to try to make it more of the time. Oh, it's it's like the the madcap laughs with all the strings and crap on it. But well, you know, <laughs> what's what's uh, 
this is probably a really strange re reference, but uh, nonetheless, same, roughly same time period, um, the Steve Miller band up in San Francisco, they had producers that were doing the same thing to them. And uh, he complains about his first couple albums. He's like, because there's all this stuff on there that really had nothing to do with <laughs> I walked what, away, and then know? I bought my own record. I right, didn't right. recognize it. So, so that might have been, you know, it just might have been part of the production, you know, credo at the well, time. Yeah, like yeah. You, you get stuff uh, of the time, like he has a Beatles pastiche, or at least the lyrics are a pastiche called Beetle Bones and Smoking Stones. And the producer comes in and makes the guitar all back masked to try to... <laughs> the Beetle it up. Yeah, exactly. And and then uh, those the sessions like the original sessions uh, before they had to go back and re-record it, uh, they released four of those songs as Mirror Man a couple of years later, hmm. which uh, and then in the '90s they released the Mirror Man sessions, which I think is a very uh, pr probably my favorite album he ever put out because it's just as I was saying the it's it's the best uh, amalgamation of the blues style with his sensibilities. Speaking of blues, let's check out the next track. I think it's the uh, single off the album, Observatory Crest. I'm not wow. sure if this is the single, but it's absolutely the best attempt at being commercial on the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. Yacht rock almost. <laughs> almost, yeah. Great uh, bass playing. Yeah. Yeah. I would get the, the uh, dig the tape delay on the guitar. That's pretty cool. Whoever these guys are, like they, uh, they, it sounds like they did their homework, you know, and kind of boned up on, you know, it's like they're trying to do some Zoothorn Rolo esque things that they're just not, they're like dipping their toe in a little. Like, <laughs> it's a little bit of that flavor, but never like, you know, well, and, yeah, 100% I mean, all the time wackiness. They probably only had so much time to rehearse as well. It's not like the earlier magic band where you're all living together in a house. Yeah. You know, whether you're living off of food stamps or not, you're still all there with an inordinate amount of time. You, you can't hire a freaky musician, right. a commune by the hour. Right. Exactly. For your session. <laughs> <laughs> well, and something else I noticed about this song is it clearly Don, the captain had only written like four or five lines for each of these. And, <laughs> You know, when he's done with them, what are you he'll wait a bit. About, man? This and is like a Thomas Paine novel here, man. And then hundreds of sing them again. characters, and then sing them again. Yeah, what's the line from that one? We saw flying saucers so and all, all of the rest. All of the rest. There's yeah. a couple. Well, he, he at one point, you know, rhymes moonbeams with moonbeams. I'm like, come on, daydreams. I, 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 I almost wonder <laughs> anything in, in the attempt to be more commercial and. Uh, of the the six or I guess this would be the seventies at yeah. this point, but uh, I wonder if because I get kind of a distinctive Dylan feel from that, where Dylan will try to choose every rhyme he possibly can yeah. for the title. Well, and it could just be that you know someone went through and cut out all the lines that were unacceptable, and what he was left with was just those three lines, and so he's gonna just whenever he gets his head pushed towards the microphone, yeah, sing them again, <laughs> if, pull them back, sing them again. Indeed, that. 
out of it musically for this. There were there's lots of scissors and scotch tape going on in this sucker. That I'm could pretty, very well I'm pretty be, sure yes. somebody somebody was working hard to turn in a cohesive. Well, and what we were um, the you know the album we were discussing last time. Yes. Uh, the Velvet Underground's squeeze. We did notice that that you, you there is a shift or at least an evolution in terms of production chops, and, and you can hear it here in in the the early seventies. It oh, sounds yeah. it sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. these are professionals, and they are they are worth the money you pay them. They you know they they discovered cocaine, but they didn't have a mountain of it on the yeah. table in <laughs> yeah, front yeah. of the mixer yet. Yes, this isn't so. you know music <laughs> just, from the elder just levels enough of to cocaine. get you working hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, I mean this is as close LSD to, is a focus drug. Yeah. yeah, this is as close to Steely Dan as Captain Beefheart will ever get. Thank God for yes. that. So shall we move on to the next track? She says you're welcome. <laughs> uh, Pompadour Swamp. Are you talking to me? to this album on the ride over here and when it got to this song i was thinking how am i going to talk about this <laughs> i'm i've already I'm, I'm listening to it and i'm forgetting what the melody is yeah it most of the tunes on here kind of strip away the there's no melody well there's no melody on a lot of the old weirder shit but it, but there's also, stuff going on in the they've <laughs> also done away with the thing that makes it completely unique yeah. stylistically. When we talked a bit earlier about Zappa and Bongo Fury, which does come out a few years after this, I think, yeah. was it 77, 76, 77, something like that. Yeah. Not, so, so just a couple of years after yeah. this, but this, this seems like the, uh, I mean, just the, the technique involved, which is I have a bunch of songs. Let's put Don on top of it. And and I don't think he's floating. I mean, I think he's there. He's, he's in the music. He's singing. He's singing. But at the, the same beat. time, it's not. It's not integrated. Integrated. It's not Beefheart's band. Yeah. No. Right. And I think the Bongo Fury works because it's Zappa's band, and he understands Don, and he can make the band do whatever he wants them to to sort of yeah. fit. The that. music is responding to Don right, as opposed exactly. to existing on a tape before he showed up. So right. yes. well, Zappa who. You know, would frequently incorporate a, you know, clown horn or or some goofy toy noise in the middle of a really uh, crazy and you know complex arrangement in a band with twenty people in a horn section and shit like that. It's like he knew how to take a weird, distinct sound effect thing and put it in a in a place for like maximum Captain Beefheart effect. And yeah, and Captain Beefheart's a, a good one a- of those to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So. But yeah, and so I think I think this is um, right. This is this is why this is a detour or an outlier or both. But yeah. Then on the on like Trout Mass Replica, and the you know the earlier Beefheart records, you get the sense that you know Don stomping his foot or whatever is kind of like the conductor's baton for the weird shit that's going on. You know, he feels 
He doesn't sound like above it or like beside the, you know, it's like he's, he's like driving it. You know, there's this weird loping kind of pulse that radiating from him that the other shit is kind of swirling around. Yeah, you were, you were saying how the production is really smooth and it just sounds good. And that's another thing that's not very indicative of the beef heart sound because trout mask replica just sounds like a band in a room with no effect to make, to lessen the right. harshness of the way it, it actually yeah. sounds. It's naturalistic and abrasive. Yeah. And this, on the other hand, has a lot of reverb, a lot of, I mean, that, I don't know if it's a Rhodes, but whatever that keyboard is that is all over this album, it sounds just gorgeous. It's not too busy, and so the bass frequencies, not just the bass guitar, is yeah. smooth and heard clearly. And like, I wonder if you stripped Beefheart off and got someone to come in with like a a reasonable commercial voice and some decent melodies and lyrics, whether they could turn this into like a, an Asia or Steely Dan yeah. or something. I Cause just, I mean, the music seems so unrelated to Beefheart that I kind of wonder if there's, there might be like a karaoke version of a, a you know, an R and B <laughs> album underneath <laughs> this. Yeah. It doesn't, it sounds a little too slick. I mean, you can yeah. go. This is seventy two, seventy four, seventy four. Well, I must. I don't even know if it's if it's too slick. It's you, just. But not, you can find it's these a lot slicker than Beefheart. The sound, the drum sound, the bass sound, the guitar sounds. Like you can go find these on most other records that came right. out at the same time. Where it's like shit that's on like Trout Mask, just blasted out fuzzy bass or just really jangly guitar that's weird or you know just like it's like. That's not something that you would hear on other records. You know, it's like tonally, it was extra weird shit for the time. And this is not. <laughs> what was <laughs> the album after this one? Uh, Shiny Beast, Bat Shiny Chain Puller. Beast. Yeah. So, um, right. I don't, think I've, I don't think I've listened to that album, or at least not all the way through. Uh, do you have any recollection of what the production is like on that? Is it, is it a little the, more... It's... Uh, it's it's not as abrasive as Trout Mask Replica, but it's definitely weirder than uh, right. this record. So it's probably so it's probably a you know a combination better recording techniques, but but still with the more direct. Um, Actually, what I recall most about it is that it's the, almost all the low end is is gone. Huh. Interesting. And they, I don't think they use at least on most of the tracks any real bass guitar. It's it's an obvious bass synth. You know that that is uh, sonically. That's probably why I mentioned it earlier. Is that's something I notice on this? That bass is very present on this yeah. album. Yeah. Where it's, uh, I mean, on the on the earlier couple of Beefheart records, like it's the bass. It it almost sounds like Lemmy in Motorhead or something. I mean, it's it's a very important part of the herky jerky right, rhythm. The bass and stuff, guitar is there, but it's but... very very mid rangey and growly, and and it's not it's not this clean seventies, you know. And, and like I said, it's like a separate separate lead. That yeah, you have exactly. To pay attention yeah, to. it's not a it's not a backing instrument. It's, it's like a cello line, not like a <laughs> you know. It's not a rhythm instrument. Ex- yeah, so I don't know. I still like this though. It's still fun. I mean, there's yeah. well, it sounds great. <laughs> I mean, it's not unpleasant to listen to. It just you know, like I said, if you like Beefheart, this isn't what you're going to Beefheart it, for. And nothing... if you don't like Beefheart, then why are you here? So there, there's not the otherworldly charm of a trout mask replica. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the um, 
the utter disregard for convention is really like the the hallmark of of Don's music and career. And, and this is a very this is, conventional it, album. This is a very conventional album for its time. So well, speaking of uh, you know songs that he's not terribly involved in, let's listen to Captain's Holiday. <laughs> So is that Don at least playing the harmonica? Well, the, the, there is a story to this song. You know the the story about this song. I I um, other than like he, the joke of it's the holiday for the captain. I don't know. Apparently, this is not a uh, song that the Magic Band recorded. This is a song that the Magic Band found on the end of the tape in the <laughs> studio that they were recording. <laughs> and just used it. They just threw it on there with, you know, maybe that's, you know, Beefheart actually playing harmonica, or more likely, it's just someone else's song they stole and put on here. The uh, the joke is even better now. Yes. The Captain's Holiday. Yes, so they, they had someone singing Captain, Captain to make it Captain Beefheart specific, but it's not actually a Captain Beefheart song well, at the, all. The, the lyric is uh, Captain, Captain, like come and sing your melody. So yeah, that's, that's, so. a, that's, a, that's a great joke. Captain, my captain. That, that's just that. That is resourceful. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's only nine tracks on this album, and you know, there's another cover. They clearly, again, he didn't seem real committed to this uh, trying to be commercial venture, and they were padding the album. Well, so. imme- immediately after this came out, he just disowned it outright. Yeah, he he's like, don't only... buy it. I will refund your money. The only good thing is the artwork. And... But, yeah, then my so. cousin. True. Did he say that? Yeah, 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 yeah he so. was not happy with this album. Well, the the kind of foot foot stompiness of this, the, the weird group, it's, I mean... I kind of dig it's it. It's pretty... Yeah, it's a good song. It's, it's, just... it's weirdly beef, beef hardy and... I was going to say, uh. <laughs> the fact that it doesn't stick out more being yeah. a different song by a different band recorded at a different time by different people <laughs> says something about how anonymous the rest of this album is. Because, you know, if you didn't know that story, you'd probably just think, okay, well, they did an instrumental. Yeah. Does, speaking on the harmonica, it does, to me, sound like his, his playing. Like he, I, I think, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of talent to be able to play the harmonica, I guess. Uh, to get to, to, to reasonable noises out of to it. To get yeah, any yeah. noise out of it. To, I guess that's true. Zero any to instrument. your comments at Austin. <laughs> John Popper at bluestraveler.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I can get a sound out of a harmonica, and it, uh, it'll sound like a harmonica, but he w- really knew how to use it. And yeah, it sounds yeah. Well, he is a blues guy, so. I mean, this song does not need to be six minutes long that's for sure i, I kind of i was going to ask who the guitar player was but i guess that's pointless yeah see, nobody knows <laughs> i mean i don't i don't know who how they got the uh, 
credits for the songwriting on it because it's nobody I've heard of. But you know, <laughs> they looked it up, or they just assigned it to somebody. You know, don't leave shit laying around a studio. Alan it's Smithy. not yours anymore. John yeah. John Doe music. Maybe maybe they had the same engineer or something, and he said, "Hey, I know something." Yeah, I was like. Boy, this album's clocking in at uh, 28 minutes. Let me see what we got. <laughs> so I think this is another blissfully short album. I'm I'm thankful for those. I think our next album's going to be a lot longer. But um, shall we move on since this isn't really a, well, a beef art song? Well, it's kind of unrelated, but when I was listening to this album, the melody line and the fact that they use the exact same word really reminded me of Captain by Ween. Oh, go. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised this has never been used as a Captain Morgan's, you know, TV jingle or something. You could just see that the guy in the the suit one yeah. coming into the bar with the girls in slinky dresses all going, "Ooh, Captain, Captain." Well, the, yeah, the the melody line in uh, in the the Ween song is "Captain, come around and take me home." It's like the exact same melody line. There you using go. The well, that, maybe they were inspired. Well, they or they were Beefheart fans, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, I would imagine so. They, they know where they stole all their shit from. But of the of the Beefheart songs to replicate, this seems like a very strange choice. It's yeah, one that wow. not even Beefheart replicates. So. <laughs> okay, we got Rock and Roll's Evil Doll. So is this about that one episode of the Twilight Zone? Or he's back. This is the first song since the first one, yeah. Where you can actually say, "Hey, this is a Captain Beefheart song." Yes. Well, yeah. he seemed to be reacting. The music is reacting to his his vocals and his lyrics. Well, at least I mean, even if he didn't write any of the music, at least his voice is there. Yes. Well, the screechy vocal style is exactly the way it sounds on his final album, Ice Cream for Crow, where he's oh, just nice. like screeching into the microphone and not adhering to any <laughs> known melody structure. And he does those weird high pitched loops. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. does yeah, have yeah, quite yeah. a range. Yeah, as yeah. strange as, as he is, he does have That's a vocal range. Awesome. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a cool song. It's got that weird little breakdown part. I mean, but you were saying yeah. Logan is kind of like disco, yeah? Yeah, it is a little disco y. It's, it's funky. It's yeah, no, it's if you didn't get the, the talking <laughs> over the. Bow. Yeah, the I, was, I was saying it sounds like really like a funkadelic. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And, and Bootsy Collins was the uh, the original rhinestone rock star. Or they, they were the. So. You know, prototypes for disco, just I, disco, yeah, just kind sly of sly in the family stone, yeah, it all down, right? I, I would like to point out that, like, one of the, the hallmarks of Beefheart stuff is kind of like wacky characters, are you know, lyrically. And, and I think there's a through line, a lot of my other favorite music, you know, uh, The Residents and Tom Waits and Primus being kind of ones who like implement that throughout their their careers um as well as funkadelic and anything george clinton's ever done um and i wonder how much of that ties back to to beefheart because it wouldn't surprise me if uh, they all stole from this dude well i mean that there is the two schools of thought in songwriting i mean first person and third person i mean are you 
writing about yourself or are you writing about some strange, weird incident about, you know, fictional characters or people you see on the street? And I think he's definitely in the third person school. You don't know a whole lot about, well, I mean, the fact he's not even using his real name yeah. <laughs> says he's not a confessional songwriter like, say, Rivers Cuomo. He's he's making up stories here. Yeah. Well, and sometimes the characters are him, and sometimes they're, yeah. Well, I'm sure there's there's parts of him hidden in them, but he's not like, I just broke up with my girlfriend. Her name is Bess. Her address is 1132. Well, yeah. <laughs> right, like, yeah, yeah. Willie the Pimp is, he's not Willie the Pimp. No. But he makes a really good Willie the Pimp. Yeah. No, it's kind of like acting. Well, I mean, in a way. You get the you get the character songs or you get the trite nonsense, like the title track. Blue yeah. Jeans yeah, some, yeah, like, and I mean, this song, other than there's a rock and roll evil doll, I'm not really sure what the quote-unquote story is, but it's, you know, a character sketch. I think you could be right, Scott. I think the, the lyrics are undeveloped. Yeah. Yeah. He had, a lot of these are just this whole, one or two phrases over and over I again. I had an idea. It's Here we go. They're more titles than, you know. It's like when, you know, we're, more times I we're, all, shit. Um, we're all, all songwriters. It is like sometimes you get a great line. And, and that's all you get. Well, if, but, if, if the music truly was recorded beforehand, I wonder if he heard it all before he even wrote the lyrics. Yeah, he might have been digging through his notebooks. Like, I wonder what will fit, fit on this one. Here. Mm-hmm. Here's three lines. Okay. I can't come up with anything else. It reminds me of something that, I, th- I mean, I think it was Dave Grohl said something about Kurt Cobain and his lyrics and how everybody thought he was just brilliant and everything like that. And to Dave Grohl brought up, yeah, it's tough to, it's tough to hear what a lyrical genius he was when I saw him write that shit down in a notebook, like 20 seconds before he sang it for the first time. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like, you know, some of this, some of the stuff on this is like, yeah, he was busting out the notebook and he was like, "Ah." yeah, yeah, this will go. Well, you know, <laughs> the specific words aren't as important as how you sing them. I think a lot of people I mean, misinterpret they, Dylan's lyrics as meaningful because he sings them with such great meaning, but written down, they're actually kind of stupid. He's just, well, unless he's singing about Hattie Carroll. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> or, it depends on what era. Beefheart is, he's just so original. I mean, I, I marvel just at that title, Rock and Roll's Evil Doll. It's the possessive, right? So yeah. rock and roll is the, is, is the, uh, you know, the character, right? Yeah, Who, and it owns And it some owns sort of this evil doll that needs to be described in some way, right? We, yes. have, to, we have to figure this out. And, and uh, you know, or even, even we mentioned the album Trout Mask Replica. It's not a trout mask. It's a replica of a trout mask. <laughs> that, yes. that, is, um, that, is, that is a level of, of, uh, of um, um, it, it inspires the imagination, right? It yes. pushes you in the farther down the rabbit hole. And, well, uh, and yeah, well, that's that's an important note is that it's not just nonsense. There's a lot of intent to it. Yes, which yes. is uh, also speaking of influence. Uh, this was when Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons, bought this album because he was such a, a disciple of Frank Zappa. So when he was a kid, he put down his whatever apparently astronomical price it was for a double LP. Seven dollars. <laughs> it might have been, yes. And, and, and he, t- he tells the story that he bought this album and he's like, well, Frank Zappa says this is good. He produced this. This must be the best thing that I could buy at this moment. And then he listened to it and he, you know, he gets the abrasive uh, reaction that a lot of people have to that album. And he's like, why would, 
why would why would Mr. Zappa do this to me? <laughs> but he had spent so much money that he had to listen to it over and over again. And uh. then on like the seventh listen, he says he's like, oh. I realize this is the way it had. They, they meant for it to sound like this. Yeah, yeah. this he, wasn't an accident. That's about what it takes. Seven yeah. lessons. You got to make it that far. And yeah, he, yeah. he uh, says t- to this day it's his favorite album. No so kidding. I uh, wonder well, what he thinks Sean of this Mastrick album. Replica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah nobody's listened to um, Blue Jeans and Moonbeams seven times. I, I think I made <laughs> yeah. it through it four or five for this podcast. I'm on three, and that's where we're going to leave it. Yeah, there you go. Well, for let's, a while. I don't know. It's not bad. I don't know. <laughs> that's further than we've gone. Yeah. Hey, that's the next song. Further than we've gone The stars sing a song Together That only lovers can hear Come up close to me, lover Well, if ever you were going to play a Captain Beefheart song at your wedding, this is probably your best bet. But um, why would you do that? No, I would sing. I would, I would play Wildlife. <laughs> there you go. There is so much space between the vocals. Yeah. Well, it's funny how you know usually Beefheart's growly um, vocals tend to you know <laughs> remind one of Tom Waits, but here they remind you of Joe Cocker. This feels like a, a very Joe Cockery kind of performance. So I I don't know why he would want to do that, but that's what we've got. I can see that. Yeah. You are so beautiful. But they you know, again, we Captain, have like Captain no. Captain Beefheart definitely should have had the should have had the theme song to the Wonder Years. Uh, yeah. Well, yes. If he was going to do the Joe Cocker thing, he should have just been more loaded than he was. <laughs> <laughs> His vocals are oddly buried in the mix of this song. Yeah. They're they're pretty present on everything else, but this one is very. They're I clearly they're trying to make it as pretty and presentable as possible. So they may have dialed him back. Well, this, on is this, a, this is another one like Pompadour Swamp, where it just seems like the melody is very forgettable, and it, the track itself is kind of hard to remember after you've heard it. Yeah, I wonder if they had a bit of formula in mind. Like we need a slow ballad, a ballad here. Yes. Mm-hmm. We had so we had an up tempo rocker with the rock and roll's evil doll. Now we need to bring things down a little bit, you know, for the slow song, the slow dance. The, are you, you saying know, this are... by the numbers album did a by the numbers decision? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm I'm yeah, I'm suspicious. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, since we have nothing to say, we'll move on to track number eight. Twist ah luck. Me a, wee- a while to realize that it was twist of luck, not twist ah luck. Just you know, that's what he's trying to say. I think. Well, he he did that uh, instead of using just the word ah. Uh, yeah. Put the H on there as I don't know some poetic twist ah luck. Yeah. It took me a while to figure out. Oh, that that does make some sense. It's not just three random words. 
<laughs> pulled out of the Scrabble bag. It's like a twist of fate. Indeed. But a twist of luck. Something like that. A simple twist of well, luck. Fate, <laughs> fate implies agency on something's part. There you go. So we're, this is definitely more up-tempo than the last track. Um, mm-hmm. This feels like it could be on a clear spot, almost. Yeah. It, just, it, does, it makes me think, you know, if Don were still, uh, still alive and stuff, I would, uh, I would hire him to sing on all of my songs. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a great range. I mean, yeah. he gets some low notes there. They're pretty. This impressive. has that funky organ on it. Yeah, as well. yeah, it's a good song. It's just not very um, interesting, <laughs> which is you know about what Beefheart only his only thing that he has to offer is interesting. So, yeah, really, like a lot of his other music is really like an all-out assault on your senses. It's like. Even if there's lots of space in it, it seem it feels uh, dense uh, rhythmically and sonically and lyrically and all that stuff. And most of the stuff on this album kind of like, especially you know this guy like kind of rates as like a, huh, yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> as a, you know, it just. Well yeah, then, okay. okay. If you had a friend who has a hard time listening to say difficult music like Captain Beefheart. Would you start them out with this album and then see, you know, work them up to Trout Mask Replica? Is this a good sort of like, well, gateway I, drug? I think the best gateway is Clear Spot, as I was saying, because yeah. it's like the in between between this, which is way to the other side of commercial, and the, you know, lick my decals Trout Mask style. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. If somebody liked this and were like, oh, I want to hear more Beefheart, they would not get. But, but I think this like album this. is too generic to even bring people in. I think you need like the yeah, eccentricity of a clear spot. I, I think you need to like kick them into the pool without them, you know, <laughs> while their back is turned. There you go. It gives a shit if their <laughs> cell phone's in their pocket or anything. Much like you know, Matt Groening and just happen. force them to listen to Trout Mask Replica seven no, no, times no, in a row. No dip in your toe. And just... He eventually, Captain Beefheart, he eventually uh, forsook, forsaken? Yes. He, he quit music. And concentrated entirely on art. Yeah, for like painting. the last 10, 15 years of his life. Are any of you, I've only seen a few of his paintings. Are any of you familiar with it at all? I'm kind of wondering if, if he had any you know, commercial impulses with his the, art or if it... Um, the cover know. to his next album, uh, I think he drew that and a couple others after that. I, I have no idea whether he was just more successful at it or you know, he didn't require a band to try and... <laughs> I know he did his he, ideas. I, I believe way. he had some pretty big shows. Yeah, I think he was. I think he may have made more money, sadly, as a uh, as a painter than as a you know oh, he, uh, Another reason was he had uh, MS that was getting worse around that time. Oh, that, yeah, I, I was unaware of that. Yeah, I think that's what he finally died of back in what ninety. He died in two thousand ten. Two thousand. Oh wow, he made it a lot longer than yeah, I yeah. expected. But you know. He did, yeah. He stopped making music in like 82 or 83, something like that. So. Uh, yeah, late 80s or something around that. So, yeah, he was yeah, nothing that, but a painter for a long, long that's time. That's just a brutal disease. Yeah. yeah. That's a twist of bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the last track, please. This is the title. <laughs> Moon Scott, Be- it's Scott Livingston, uh, a Captain Beefheart biographer. There you go. It's his- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be coming out on Random House any day now. 
with his yeah twist on late that. late period retrospective twist ah uh, bad luck blue jeans and moonbeams indeed on mondays some house and moondays sundays and sundays never seen sundays i'm trying in always and learning in between blue jeans and moonbeams blue jeans and moonbeams i've been working up and loving underneath the moonstone sky i know there's many things i've never seen <laughs> come on blue jeans and moonbeams mondays and anything else <laughs> daydreams laser beams He's got like a, a a table with like scraps of paper. Like ah sh- shit, that one fell on the floor. <laughs> ah fuck it. <laughs> moonbeams and moonbeams. <laughs> I had something for this. Well, they needed to place the microphone in front of his face. He wasn't going to bend over to pick up yeah. some piece of paper. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? Bob Dylan was mentioned earlier. It's like Bob has his Bob voice, and then he has the voice he uses when he sings country songs. Yeah, the lay lady lay. Right, so this Jim is, Neighbors. Right, right. Yeah, the Jim Neighbors voice. This isn't quite Jim Neighbors, but it's uh, you know, it's definitely like okay. He's not growling at all. Beef art is gone. This must be what Don sounds like. Yeah, or something. Sort of something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. I think he did sell that uh, synthesizer to ELP, who used it on Lucky Man after this. Really? I, well, it sounds like the oh. same one. <laughs> no, I don't think be. it's actually the same one, but it could no. be. <laughs> oh, what a lucky man! The lucky man was that equipment was, was, was a mug. Yeah, yeah, but it the, it's a very similar sounding synth. Of course, you know, seventy four. There were only like eight synths out there, so you know, it's probably one of those. But yes, this is apparently the theme, the anthem of the album. And again, he has almost nothing to say. Repeats the same. Four words over and over again. But it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Well, and and clearly he's, you know, trying to do something pleasant and nice. I mean, this isn't an abrasive album title like, say, Trout Mask Replica or Bat Chain Puller or, you know, Lick My Decals Off Baby. He's trying to be nice here. He just isn't saying anything. Yeah, it's it's difficult to even come up with an imaginary connection of why are those two words together yeah and i mean the thing is it could work if the rest of the lyrics were evocative of you know whatever nostalgia or whatever he's talking about but he all he's saying is mondays and moonbeams blue jeans and mon- moonbeams sundays and sundays blah 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 it is pretty um yeah there it is it's not Right, it's not esoteric enough. Yeah, and it's not literal. Literal enough at all. Yeah, I, so. I really think that like one of the genius things with his lyrics and vocals, when he's in kind of storytelling mode, is that the cadence is really, you know, that hence the 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 Dylan comparisons. It doesn't matter what he's saying. He's kind of telling us it's it's more of sort of, it's a it's, it's an impressionistic. Yeah, his tone Lyrical of voice kind of thing. If you if you if you zoom out enough, there's a there's a big picture and there's interesting shit going on. But if if you zoom in too much, it's like, well, that's just a dot. That's a green dot. It yeah. doesn't have any. So you know, if you're you know scrutinizing the minutia of 
his lyrics and stuff, it you're it's going to go nowhere because that's not how he you know. Well, I think how, that, how I he think works. absolutely the the that kind of scrutiny. But I think that's all he's given us is the problem. Yeah, yeah. there's all no, he gave us was the green dots. Yeah, yeah. He's I mean he's he's outside of his usual thing. Don't considerably. you guys? Don't you guys see that blue jeans are a symbol of the working class? Oh. And Mondays is the beginning of the working week, and uh, the moon I, is I the man like looking down from his cloud down on the the small working people. I like this song much better now. <laughs> yeah, it's still too long though. Blew my mind, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if my mind needs to be blown for. Yeah, the Mondays and thing. I was. I don't know why. I was thinking more. It seconds. was like some kind of romantic thing. Yeah, that's what it felt like. He was trying to be evocative of like right. some sort of. Early romance, very you know, you know, innocent and young and naive, but he doesn't go yeah, anywhere with it. Maybe he doesn't. his girlfriend wore blue jeans. Yeah, and yeah. We, just, we held hands in the moonlight, but you know, again, I think the working class metaphor works. Better. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, does I mean this this album reminds me a little bit of the the Velvet Underground thing we talked about last week. Just this is this is like a seven, mid seventies caricature of like the six, of the the hippie hippie yeah. out sixties, you know, both in production and what Don so, was like. So he, what the producers did to his brown paper rapper album, he did for the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that it's a it's a good analogy. The significant difference being that this actually has Captain Beefheart on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Velvet Underground had the. What's his name? Doug. Yeah, Doug. <laughs> Random Doug. Random Doug. <laughs> so I, I guess... And they spelled it wrong, too. It's <laughs> Dig Doug. <laughs> so overall, is, is, is this an album for... Uh, who is this album for? I mean, is this for Captain Beefheart Completus only? Because I'd never heard of this until you suggested it for the podcast, and then I did some research. I'm like, oh, wow, I... You know, had no idea this even existed. So, uh, who, who should listen to this album, if anybody? I don't know. People who need a breather between uh, "Safe as Milk" and "Trout Mask." You know. I mean, yeah. If you, you want to, like, well, no, do, just do go the, to just go to Clear Spot. Like, it, yeah, just, yeah. You don't need this one. For yeah, that. there's already a better version of this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was a, an attempt to be commercial that failed at being commercial, but inspired them to 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 go back to roots. Well, yeah, so, if you're sometimes you need that. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to try and be commercial and fail then yeah, why bother trying again, I guess. That is the important lesson here. If you're going to sell out and no one's buying, go ahead and do your weirdness. I think that's the um an interesting note about that is when they went back, the same thing happened again where he had to re-record an album that he just recorded because Zappa wouldn't let him like he had a falling out with Zappa and he wouldn't let him use the master tapes for uh, what are you saying two cranky curmudgeonly very <laughs> dictatorial guys didn't get along all the time I am shocked well it's just interesting he tries to go back to the sound that people like and then he just keeps well, going did the people same like shit. it or just it sold better than this I think people like, like Trout Mask was pretty critically acclaimed at the time yeah that's true I guess you know it didn't sell as well as he wanted, which is why he tried this. But well, yeah, it just didn't. It just didn't sell. There's, I mean, there's a there's a difference between, you know, being it um, artistic in the sense that that wow, this is really amazing, 
right? You know, for the people that listen to it. And it's it, that's a lot different than having your songs on the radio and, and selling yeah. out at record stores and, and things of that nature, you know? So, so I think, you know, I definitely could see that, that, okay, look, I want a record. I want a record that I can do my art and at the same time, you know, eat. Yeah, yeah. not have right, to be right, on food stamps. Right, 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 you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and I think that it's, uh, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's not a lot of leeway there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're not selling X amount, you're never going to pay off the record, pay back the record company, and you're just going to be basically a slave to whatever they tell you until they decide to cut you. So it's basically a lottery ticket. You've either lost a dollar or won a million. Yeah, yeah. There is no. And the fact that he managed a career as long as he did is a testament that people saw art in what he did. Yeah. Well, well, and that Frank Zappa is right. Yeah, and then Frank helpful friend to have. I don't have uh, firsthand experience to back this up, but it seems to me that uh, Captain Beefheart is, you know, probably better appreciated. You know, he, it seemed it seemed like people really started to catch on to like how cool and clever, especially musicians, what he was doing. Like, kind of around the time that he stopped making music. I mean, there's really even this has its place. This album has this like really kind of twee sort of like cutesy aspect to it that falls like right in line with like, I don't know, like Wilco or some shit shit like that, you know, (laughs) that's a good reference. And so it, it, it's like, I think a lot of stuff that Don was doing and, and, and company, you know, the band gets all, I mean, I, I, until I, I dug back into my beef heart catalog for stuff. I forgot that, uh, um, uh, uh, was involved and, oh, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And it's like, yeah. Oh man, this, this is badass. but it's just, this sounds really weird now after, uh, you know, 60 years of my favorite bands being influenced directly by this. It still sounds extreme and weird and must've been really fucking weird when it was brand new. And so I think as we get some it continues to be ahead of its Just, time. Yeah, it continues yeah. to be ahead of it its time. It never got normal. Yeah, it never got normal. So, uh, you know, that's it's it's impressive and I I like this one fine. It's it's better than <laughs> Okay, so the the consensus here is Beefheart yay, Bloom Jeans and Moonbeams. Yeah, we can pass on that. It goes by quick. It's that's an, true. It's, it's another like 35 one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. minutes maybe. Top to top to bottom it goes well, by real fast and there's never like a there's no horrible. Songs I just agree here. with that. If I if I'm you know I'm in the mood. I say I want to hear some Beefheart. This is not the album I'd grab. Yeah, no, there's... no. Well, as, as Beefheart himself said, everyone who bought this should get their money back. Yeah, and yeah. I, will pr- I will play a private concert for everybody who bought this as an apology. <laughs> that is so nice. That uh, it, but if this was today and this popped up on my iTunes, I'd be all right. Hey, yeah. it's Beefheart. That's yeah. Cool. I was gonna say if you want Beefheart in the background, this is your best bet. But <laughs> if you want Beefheart, you want Beefheart in your cans. Turned up pretty loud, so it's, well, so it's there. It exists. It is. It is interesting. You know, we're saying the first tune was covered by the White Stripes. Yeah, that, that party of would, special things to do. There you go. Jack White just did that uh, repressing of Trap Mask. Oh yeah. yeah, I tried to get one of those. It was cost a lot of money. I, I <laughs> went ahead and just paid a lot of money to get yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> you're not the only one. Yes, I'm sure he knew what he was doing. I'm curious. You're gone now, right? I mean, you could probably find them for a similar amount that I paid. Yeah. <laughs> Look on eBay. Be prepared to pay. It sounds amazing, though. They did a really great job. God damn. Don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can it's borrow It's the best a record copy. I've ever heard. 
you will, your life is incomplete now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, I com- think- it comes with like a literal you car- cut out trout mask. It's a replica of the trout mask replica? Yeah, that's, it says replica trout mask replica on it. Well, there you wow. go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that is our recommendation. Listen to that album and said, um, good luck with you <laughs> on that. But uh, I guess that will wrap it up for this week. Um, Austin, you want to tell the people or persons about your band and what you're doing and how they can find you and listen to you and support you? Well, uh, I'm not sure what's going on with Smashy Claw right now, but as, as far as my songs i just did this thing called february album writing month where you write 14 songs in the month of february which i've been doing every year since 2011 and uh so i got a new batch of 14 songs that i just put up on my solo Bandcamp, which is ashlemon at uh, dot bandcamp.com ashlemon that's a-s-h-l-e-m-o-n that's right do you want to talk about the record label man Oh, yeah, that's, that's probably a good idea. Uh, plug, plug, plug. Uh, so me and my friend Jace from the band Nuclear Bubble Rap started a record label called Needle Juice Records. We started last year, or I guess it was 2017, late 2017 at this point, with the King Gizzard record, Polygon to Wanaland. And we've just kept putting out some pretty interesting projects like uh, Lemon Demon and a local band from Denver called Eldrin. We just put out a uh, nerd rock uh, Icon Logan Whitehurst, Nerd Rock. That's appropriate. <laughs> Icon. What's have, the name of the label I, I again? Needle Juice Records. Needle Juice Records. So type that into your Google machine, and then you know, keep an eye on them. They will be releasing stuff in random batches sporadically in the future. And right now, we uh, we're putting out the uh, Komar and Melamede and Dave Soldier's Most Unwanted song on vinyl, if anyone's ever heard that. I, pretty, I sat through it once, yes. It's pretty in line with the B-fart, actually. So yes, yes. Uh, Plus, it's got you know kids singing about Walmart. So, you know, what more could you want out of a song? Or not want. One of the so. color variants is the Walmart color scheme. Oh, well, there you go. The I like that needle juice. That is um, um, beef hearty in. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is, indeed. So... Thank you. Yes. yes, I came up with that. that was, yeah. That's beautiful. Jace does almost like ninety-five percent of the label, but I came up with that. So, <laughs> so you've you've you staked your claim. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Everyone should tune in for that. Listen to those records if you are a vinyl person, or you know, however you get your music through needles or juices. Um, anyway, that should wrap it up. I'm Scott Livingston. Logan Renard. Matthew Marr. And tune in next week when we will try and figure out who this is. Fast and Bulbous. Dance on the window pane. Here I lie. Wake once again. Longing for a dream that may never come until I'm done. But I wouldn't mind. No, I wouldn't mind I can see it with my own two eyes But I wouldn't mind